Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Pittsburgh Current Podcast. Uh, it is um, a date in May. I don't know what day it is. As I've said before, I don't know what time it is. I don't know what it's like outside. I don't, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's life in the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. However, we may be um, hearing some, uh, some rumblings that the governor may be listing a lot of Southwest PA counties today as uh, coming out, going into the yellow zone, which means um, certain, you know, business, some certain businesses can begin opening up and and so forth. Um, so we've got that to look forward to, or we've got the disappointment to look forward to if it doesn't happen today. Um, new issue of the Pittsburgh Current should be in your inboxes already this week and also online at pittsburghcurrent.com. Um, a lot of stuff this week. Um, I did a roundup of, uh, we did some stories looking at um, statistics at the Allegheny County Jail um, last week online, and we sort of updated that and put those stories uh, in the digital issue, um, looking at the racial disparity numbers at the Allegheny County Jail pre and post COVID-19. Uh, and um, spoiler alert, uh, <laughs> black, black incarcerated in, uh, people did not fare well in those numbers. Um, unfortunately, as you know, despite this is a massive change in, uh, in how we and how our lives have been going the last couple of months, um, it's still certain things never change. And, and that that aspect of the justice system apparently um, is able to somehow um, stay the same despite a massive pandemic. So give that uh, give that story a look. Also, we have got a story on the Pittsburgh Knights, the uh, Pittsburgh's esports franchise. Um, there are no really aren't any other, there are no other sports going on, but uh, the Pittsburgh Knights are still competing uh, in esports. And for um, those of you. Uh, of a certain age, sorry, Boomer, I never really say that, but, or okay, Boomer, uh, in its video game competition, so, um, which is a, a, which is big business, so give that a look, uh, that's by our Matt Petrus, um, so, yeah, so today we are going to be talking politics, and uh, on the line with me from Shreveport, Louisiana, um, at least for the moment, is a uh, friend and political com uh, common political analyst uh kieran young kieran how you doing this morning i'm good charlie how are you good man how uh how are you like so you've been you've been uh you've been down south for so most of the year right so far you worked on a campaign just kind of catch people up to what you've been up to i've been i've been in texas in houston texas since march or not since december one yeah and, uh currently i'm Deciding to go back home for my birthday and see my mom for Mother's Day. So okay, and uh, so what are, what are your what are your plans after that? Uh, I'm talking to a couple of organizations about different positions uh, yeah. and considering running certain campaigns. I'm not really sure what I'm going to do yet, but COVID has kind of slowed everything down um, in the political space, uh, hiring yeah. things like that. Yeah. So you, uh, this is I actually just thought of this. I think it's interesting to maybe talk about a minute. Um, so you've obviously, you've run for office here, you've worked on campaigns here. What was the difference between what you, what you, the atmosphere here when you're, when, when you're working on campaigns and what it was like in Texas at the, at the pri during the primary? Well, first of all, they're in, in a presidential year, they're significantly earlier than we are. So sure, right. in, in my, in my political life, I'm used to voting for president around the third or fourth week of April. 
Right. Uh, and, and by that time, in a lot of cases, people have dropped out of the race. Um, some of some of the candidates are just names on the ballot. Um, being in Houston, seeing the the huge targeted campaign that Mayor Bloomberg ran, um, you know, spending a lot of money on uh, his Mike for Black America program, which targeted mm -hmm. Houston and Dallas very heavily. Uh, it's just interesting to see how presidential campaigns run in an area where they actually are trying to win votes. Right. Because in a lot of, in a lot of cases, by the time they get to us in a primary, um, we already know who the nominee is going to be. And it's kind of like, well, we're showing up to vote for United States Senate. And right. We're showing up to vote for our own local races. So or right. That. Which is an excellent segue. We actually have a lot of topics we want to cover today. But um, let's start talking about um, let's start talking about the June 2nd primary, the now June 2nd primary. And um that was supposed to be on April 28th? Supposed to be on April 28th, correct. And it got uh, obviously pushed back. Um, first, give me, your, um, give me your take on what this pandemic is doing um, in terms of campaign disruption. And particularly, I would think that that's going to take more of a toll on challengers than it would incumbents. So we were thankful in Texas that COVID came like right after the primary. Mm -hmm. Um, but looking at states where I have friends like Maryland and New York, uh, back home in Pennsylvania, um, you know, they can't knock doors. Uh, to, in a lot of cases, it's hard to get volunteers to do things because you can't get people into an office anymore. Um, you can't hold house parties where you'd write, get people to write postcards and maybe do 50 calls each. So a lot of the tools that we've used for organizing are just out the window. So a lot of the tactics that have been successful over the past two Bernie Sanders campaigns, meaning text messages and right. phone banking, virtual phone banks where you could just log in via your computer. Those are the type of tactics that people are pushing pushing towards, but there are a lot less impersonal um, uh, tools to use as opposed to just going and knocking on somebody's door and meeting them in person. Um, right. what's, probably, what's probably gonna happen, especially on a, a local level, is you will see only candidates knock doors for now on. Uh, you right. might not, you might not see large large groups of canvassers going out and knocking doors um, because people are fearful that people won't open their doors. So for the SEIUs of the world and like the DSA groups, right, that's where their power comes from uh, is going out to knock doors. So it kind of it kind of changes the dynamic uh, for some of these organizations depending on who they're backing and what in what specific races. So let's uh, let's look at some of these races and um, let's um, and this is something you and I have talked about, you know, um, sort of before we came on the air and in the past. Um, we've got some we've got some interesting we've got some interesting races, um, obviously, um, and there are a lot of it seems it's it's not just in a lot of these. It's not just um, one person against another. There seems to be some underlying themes in a lot of these, be it. Jessica Benham, Heather Cass, where you have Heather Cass, who clearly <laughs> her social media posts were, were, were atrocious and she gets the Democratic Party nomination. But let's not talk about let's talk about that in a minute. Let's hold that for let's let hold all comments on, on that. That'll you, stick to that last. You alluded time. you alluded to that on Super Tuesday and I right. never got a chance to talk about it. Yeah. And so let's uh, let's hold that one. But then you also have you've got 
you've got um, Summer Lee versus Chris Rowland. Let's start there. So you've got Summer Lee, who is the incumbent, and um, and I, I don't if anyone who anyone who I'm assuming most of our viewers know this, but just in case, because I think it's relevant. Summer Lee is an African American woman, and Chris Rowland is is not he a white is, guy. He is a white guy. Yeah. So where this though, where this flips, I mean, that doesn't automatically have to be a race issue, but where this kind of flips is summer, of course, is the, is the incumbent and Chris Rowland is not only a challenger, Chris Rowland is a challenger backed by County Executive Rich Fitzgerald. Um, so let's talk about that race a little bit. Um, what are your, what so, are your initial thoughts looking at this? Well, I'd, I'd like to say starting off that I think it's deplorable that Mr. Fitzgerald would do this. I, I've seen him run around town and tell young people that they shouldn't run for something because we've got a good incumbent in that seat and blah, 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 blah. I can't support you. But then once a young person gets elected and beats right. one of these well-entrenched incumbents that he's throwing hundreds of thousands of dollars at, you then get mad and you want to try to run somebody else because somebody won't uh, sign off on your agenda. Um, so I think, I think part of it is... Um, you know, the county executive has not been used to people pushing back against him. It's been almost, you know, what, 10 years and he hasn't he doesn't really get much pushback from the community. And I think summer is standing. I think summer is standing up to him. And I also think Liv Bennett and Bethany Hallam, who were elected when I ran last last year, who I ran with, endorsed and supported. Um, I, I really do believe that there's a change coming in the county. Um, and you really have to look at the fact that Mr. Fitzgerald is, is term limited and he's a lame duck. Right. Um, so, so now he has to try to make sure he puts people in place for the long term that will owe him. And I, I don't think that the, the, the rank and file voter is buying it anymore. They, they really do want newer leadership. Um, and the Benham thing, the Jessica Benham thing, just to touch on it, is re really is an outlier. Uh, when she yeah. was running against Harry Reedshaw, I wouldn't have expected any of the people that are supporting her, like Bruce Krause, and like the mayor, and to see Austin Davis out there. When she was running against Harry Reedshaw, I never expected any of that to happen. Right. But as soon as it became a battle between a disability rights advocate and a you know a passionate leader in her community and a Trump supporter, everybody lined up with the the leader and the advocate in the community, which should have been the way it worked from the beginning. Harry Reedshaw right. was what like ninety years old. And he, yeah, and he, listen, let's not, I mean, I, I can't call Harry Reedshaw a Trump supporter, but I also, I've actually refused to call Harry Reedshaw a Democrat for years. It's, it's ridiculous to sort of, well, except the, for your support of the unions, the, Harry the, Reedshaw the is. That, the name that we have for folks that from the South Hills like him is Dino, Democrat in name only. <laughs> right, right. He's a, he's a Democrat because, you know, his neighborhood used to be a mill neighborhood where people walk down the city steps and went to the mills right down on the riverfront. It's not like that anymore. Yeah. Which is, which is part of the reason why he felt the need to resign and not, or not resign, but retire and decide to not run for re-election. In the right. same vein, Jim Quartz decided to do the same thing. A Bill right. Quartz. But. Um, so let's talk about that Summer Lee, Chris Rowland race. What, what are you seeing there? What are you, um, I mean, I know that Summer has been active uh, doing virtual events and, you know, look, Summer's got a, I mean, she's got she's got a really really strong base of supporters who, um, I don't know. Do you think that she's? Do you think that that's enough to 
Well, you know what? Let me not put words in your mouth. What are you? What do you think in this race? Do you think it's basically so? It's her. It's her incumbency and that grassroots support that she's been growing now for going on five years versus uh, the Fitzgerald political machine. Well, it's not. It's not just grassroots support because of how vocal Summer right. is. There, are, there are organizations that are ve- will be very happy to come in and help her win re-election. Right. She's very, very progressive on environmental issues in ways that Mr. Fitzgerald is not. She's very anti-corporation and, and pro-finance reform in ways that Mr. Fitzgerald is just not. So I believe that there will be progressive organizations that come in to send mail. Yeah. When you're dealing with a county executive who can snap his fingers and raise a hundred grand for somebody or just write the check himself, right? Um, it puts you in a tough position. Also, you know, with the, the COVID-19 epidemic, you know, uh, Summer has the support of SCIU, DSA, and a lot of other organizations that like to go out and knock doors. Right. And that that may put her in a position where she doesn't have the ability to go out and do what would really help a, a candidate like her win. And that's really what I'm worried about, not just with her, but with some of the other incumbent challengers. Um, because you can overcome not having all the money in the world uh, by having a lot of energy and putting a lot of uh, work into it. but if you can't even do the work because of some outside force, it makes it a lot more difficult to win a race. So what do you, what do you think though? Um, I think she wins. I yeah, probably, I, do, I do too. If I, had, if I had to guess, I would think she wins. Cause I've, I've seen some of the mail pieces that Chris Rowland is sending out. He's trying to portray himself as a progressive, um, but not actually telling you what that actually means. He's trying to push a narrative that him and Summer are effectively the same if you look at some of their male pieces. It's just the only difference if you really looked at it is he's white and she's black. So basically the the, the the line that they're trying to draw is if you're looking for a nice, safe white guy to vote for, right. not the scary, angry black woman, right. um, you know, vote for Chris Rowland. And that goes kind of hand in hand with what the trip did by darkening a photo of her um or using a very dark photo of her um it's pretty much par for the course for for what happens in western pennsylvania when it comes to issues of race and politics i don't know if you remember what happened in 2017 with judge woodruff's finance reports but i do the republican party ran an attack ad that is against judicial ethics where they darkened his face and you know um called into question some of the decisions that some of the decisions that he made that weren't even decisions that he made Right. So it was it was very misleading. So I I think that this is par for what we've seen in history. And I think this if if Chris Rowland wins, this type of stuff will continue to be rewarded because as of right now, nobody has shown that you're going to be punished for doing this type of thing. Right. Let's uh, let's talk about let's stay at another race where um, I'm actually interested in getting your um, getting your take on the uh, the congressional race between Jerry uh, Dickinson and. Uh, Mike Doyle, incumbent Mike Doyle, long, 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 long time incumbent Mike Doyle. Um, there's a lot been going on in that race recently. Um, Dickinson says that um, Dickinson says that Doyle refused to parta- uh, participate in a uh, in a um, uh, in a debate sponsored by um, was it. Was the, the NAACP. NAACP, right. And um, I wasn't sure. I couldn't remember which organization it was. Um, and, you know, Doyle basically said that's that. So he said it's not true because it was seemed to be like a, 
a scheduling thing or something like that, or because he was, you know, working on the COVID response or something. I, I don't remember exactly. Um, but that's still, you know, you're saying you're, you're, you're not going to do it for, for whatever reason. Um, what do you see in this race? And um, what about that recent? And then, so then after that, um, a, a number of African-American leaders in the community came out in support of Jerry Dickinson um, with written support and, and, and full on support. So what do you make of this race and um, how much, uh, how much of this race um, is, um, again, I, if, if there's a handicap there for Jerry Dickinson, constitutional law professor, it's that the COVID-19 pandemic sort of hit and that certainly took him off the streets, which he was really, he was going out, he was doing a lot of canvassing. So give me your thoughts on this race. So my, my thoughts on this particular race are that there are people out there that are looking for a change. Um, Although Mike Doyle has been there a very long time, you know, there are some questions that people have in regards to his leadership and what he's brought back to the district. Um, he's the dean of the, the Pennsylvania delegation, of the, at least the Democrats. He's the longest serving Democrat. He doesn't chair a committee. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of things that people are looking at in, in regards to Mike Doyle and thinking, man, you know, for you to have been there that long, we sure could use a little bit more. Right. Um, but I, I think, um, you know, Mr. Doyle or Congressman Doyle has a view that if he has the support of certain black elected officials, um, that black members of the community will follow along with them in their um, ideas of how things should operate. And it's really just a status quo mentality, which is really represented by the fact that he blew off an opportunity to talk directly to black people right. about his agenda. Um, I, I do think, and I believe Chase Patterson is the president of the NAACP, and he did endorse Jerry Dickerson, so that may have influenced Mike's decision. But Chase also used to work for Mike Doyle, right? Um, so it's to me, I I would have said, well, I'll go, I'll show up, and I'll I'll push my message and push my agenda. To me, it shows a lack of respect on behalf of the congressman for the black community. We're almost forty percent of his district. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, I will be eager to see how he, you know, reaches out to the black community outside of the elected officials going forward. And that um, that's what's interesting is that's one of the that's one of the main things that Jerry Dickinson was pushing when he when I talked to him sometime last fall. I don't even remember when it was. It was really early um, is that um, the representation there for the. Um, for the black community just wasn't there and, and or at least wasn't at a level that it should be. And his other point, of course, was a little bit of what you alluded to, which is, you know, this is a this is a safe blue seat. A Republican is never getting their hands on Mike Doyle's seat. So that should give you sort of almost like free reign to turn it into a bully pulpit almost and 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 do a lot more in DC overall than just, you know, than just sort of um, you know, voting. I, I think the problem is that. I think the problem is that he kind of just goes with the status quo. He kind of, you know, votes for Nancy Pelosi for speaker. He doesn't doesn't make any moves or any machinations to try to get any more power for himself. And I think, you know, that's part of the reason why he has a challenger um, right. for, for you to have been there that long. And you don't chair a committee. Um, you know, right. it's, it's, it's a pretty big deal. And, you know, I've I've asked Congressman Doyle's office for, you know, some information regarding issues especially around public transit because the mass the the bulk of allegheny county's public transit money is passed through from the federal government 
And right. in a lot of and in a lot of cases, you just don't hear them talking about that because they believe that that's a county issue. And certain people who actually have to deal with, you know, um, uh, uh, the public transportation system would want their congressman to be more involved in making sure that public transportation is administered fairly and the people who need it are getting access to it. Yeah. So that I think that's one of the big knocks on Congressman Doyle. And, you know, he kind of defers to Mr. Fitzgerald because that's an entity that's controlled by the county executive. But right. at the same time, I believe that a congressperson is supposed to be an independent voice who has his hand, his or her hand on the purse strings to, to follow where the money is going and make sure it's being spent correctly. And I don't necessarily know that Mr. Doyle does that. I kind of believe that he's just involved in the cabal of elected officials like the mayor, like the county executive, who just all kind of go along with each other no matter what. So handicap this one for me. What uh, what do you see in this race? What has to happen, or or what is happening that that um, could allow Dickinson to to again? We're talking about a completely different time. We're not talking about a challenger versus an incumbent, a strong challenger versus an incumbent in 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 you know in a, in any other year. This is a, a year again where we're we're limited candidates are limited on what they can do. So handicap this one for me. How do you see this one playing out? I I honestly don't know. I'm I'm very interested in a lot of these races because of COVID-19. Um, to see what works and what doesn't, and also the mail-in ballots. I can see this going one of two ways. I can see us ending up with a new congressman by a large margin because of the mail-in mail vote. I can also see us with the same congressman um, because by a large margin because of a mail-in vote, because of name identification. So it could go either way. I'm eager to see, and I haven't seen any polling data around this, but I'm eager to see uh, how people feel about a change in Congress. Right. Um, let's do a couple more of these because we got some other topics we want to talk about. Um, Let's talk about, um, let's, let's talk about, um, actually, I think it's kind of an interesting one. Let's talk about Emily Kincaid versus Adam Ravenstahl. So I, 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 I know you keep up on stuff, so I know you know about this, but um, for the first time uh, in his uh, career, in, his, in his, his political career, Adam Ravenstahl was endorsed by Planned Parenthood back of Pennsylvania. And um, just to clear that up, because I, I've gotten that wrong before, and they've, they've asked me to clarify, so I'll say this. That we're, not talking about, um, we're not talking about Planned Parenthood of Western Pennsylvania. You're talking about the Action Fund. Right. This is, this is right. This is the Action Fund, the political action committee that, uh, that does endorsements and, and, and supports candidates and so forth. So Adam Ravenstahl, who was to call him to call him pro-life would be uh, unnecessary because it was such a strong part of his identity. Um, and then last year, I think he started voting um, for some uh, uh, pro-choice legislation, and some of it was legislation that he had voted to block in previous votes. So this was so just to wrap up what happened. So there's. Uh, people lose their mind that Adam Ravenstahl was endorsed. And I remember I started working on a story. It was a Friday morning and I had it all sort of ready to go. And, and, you know, I talked to Emily Kincaid and I talked to Adam Ravenstahl and, but by the end of the day, what Planned Parenthood had decided, Planned Parenthood PAC had decided to do was do a co-endorsement of both candidates. Um, and again, Emily Kincaid is somebody who's worked on this issue. It's not just that she believes uh, in choice. She, she has worked on this issue. So 
talk about that race. I mean, the whole thing just seemed seemed very strange. What do you what are you seeing in that race? So, I, listen, this is par for the course with their relationship with incumbents. They endorsed they actually endorsed Ricky Burgess last year, who was at one time a very very pro life minister. Um, and so it's this type of thing, them giving wiggle room to people to change their point of view, I think it has a lot to do with certain support that people are getting from other elected officials. Um, you know, when you have people throwing their weight around to make sure that you get reelected, that runs down the board. That means I put pressure on people who are on boards that get to endorse and, and things like that. And I talk to those people and I make sure that, that they're supporting me. I think the, the big problem is that a lot of these organizations feel that they have to work more with incumbent elected officials and mm -hmm. they don't necessarily feel the need to work with and or help the people who have been doing things for them, like showing up and volunteering, you know, going on lobbying trips, making phone calls to their legislators. People who have been doing that kind of organizing get blown off when they run for office because we have a pre-existing relationship with this elected official. I heard it hundreds of times. Yeah, and that's sort of um, you have to wonder if it, and that's what that's what the initial response was from the pack, which was basically, "Hey, you know, he's voted with us." Well, he didn't vote with you. In fact, voted against you for a long ass time before we got to whatever this revelatory moment was. Um, well, it's like it's 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 like Burgess and Peduto. I mean, when they were on council, they hated each other. Right. They fought. They fought with each other like cats and dogs. And you know, now all of a sudden. Bill walks up to me at an, at an event when I'm running for city council. And I said, I don't understand why you're supporting the guy. The only thing Bill can say to me is he votes for my agenda 98% of the time. Right. How did that happen? <laughs> right. I, I heard, well, I don't, that's a, but I, I, I heard this is, this is one of those sort of lore in county council, um, county council, uh, you know, the halls, the fifth floor, fifth floor, fifth floor lore, which is um, after, after Peduto won you know, and was the presumptive mayor. Um, the the story that always goes around is that um, Ricky Burgess approached him and said, "You know, you know, I don't, I don't vote against the mayor." So that was kind of a so it was I was almost like immediately like almost a burying of the hatchet to be like, you know, hey, you know, this and is that's and and that and that in a lot of cases is I don't vote against the mayor regardless of what it means for my community. Sure. So yeah. if, if, if that means that I'm giving away the land to your friends, fine. You just have to make sure that I get reelected and I get what I want. And it's just a, it's just a horse trading game. And I had certain people pull me off to the side the closer the election got and, and say things to me like, you know, we're not exactly, we don't exactly approve of what the mayor does on everything. And he will fight to keep people in power and in place who vote for his agenda like that. Um, you know, uh, another person that comes to mind is Deb Gross. I mean, she she voted for his agenda lockstep for quite some time. Yeah. Um, and then she felt that she had to break from him because she knew he wasn't very popular in Lawrenceville. Yeah. <laughs> so, it, and they she he didn't endorse her because she went from voting for his agenda 90 some odd percent of the time and it went down to 75. Yeah. So he's he's trying. It's all about him keeping control over the council so that he can continue to try to pass these tax initiatives so that he can fund the parks and give the give the money to non his nonprofit friends. Right. It's all a scheme to take care of campaign. Um, and so let's because I think this is going to dovetail into into the final topic. Let's talk about the Jessica Benham 
Heather Cass, and let's talk about the Allegheny County Democratic <laughs> Committee. Um, so that's what, I mean, honestly, it's, it's, it really started off as two stories. You have, I, I wasn't surprised that when I, when Harry Reedshaw supported a candidate and then you look and there's all kinds, again, all kinds of like right wing, what right wing stuff. And let's, let's be clear. Like I have said this from the beginning, the worst stuff that she wrote wasn't the fact that it, it was, that she was pro Trump. There were, there were the things about, for example, that, um, the, op- the opioid dr- epidemic. Drug addicts should just, should just overdose and die and quote, there would be less shit in the world. And so these are the kinds of things that, that she said that really, again, it's, it goes, but it does go back to the Trump thing, which is, you know, apparently thinks he could say whatever he wants and, and still, you know, have that support. And you can just, you can just, you know, a locker room talker. Oh, you know, I was in a bad place. Well, you know what? I've been in a bad place and I never, you know, I, <laughs> I ruptured, I ruptured my Achilles. I didn't lay downstairs and, you know, pray for other people to, to die because I was in a bad way. It's a bizarre thing that this happened. And then the committee, the committee backs it up. And then that started a whole fracas after that. So, um, you know, you know Heather's father's, you know, Heather's father's award chair, uh, father-in-law, correct? Father. I believe yeah. so. Yeah. Yes. So, I mean, yeah. That, that explains it. I mean, he in in that district, I believe the 19th ward is the second largest. Well, I know the 19th ward is the second largest ward in the city. Yeah. Uh, the first being the 14th ward, which is where the mayor and the county executive come from. Right. Um, the 19th is Tony Coghill used to be the used to be the chair, but I believe Mr. Cass is, or he's the chair of the 30th, which is just across uh, Brownsville. Um, so I think when you, that's true. I think uh, yeah, I think it. I think it is the thirty. So when you have relationships like that, and your ward borders the largest, one of the largest wards in the city, I mean, you know, it explains to me why Tony came out and endorsed her. No questions asked. Is right. somebody who endorsed me and supported me. This is how people operate. The the thing that alarmed me was that Eileen just didn't pull the endorsement. Right. Um, you know, I, I really do believe that this isn't necessarily an indictment of the Democratic Party because half of those committee people don't know what people are posting on social media because most right. of them are in, in the geriatric stages of their life. Right. Um, but we really do have an issue whenever, you know, she, Eileen Kelly struggled to fire a, uh, a guy who had made racist posts right. and sympathetic posts towards Dylan Roof. She wouldn't kick a, a, a committee person off the committee who beat up a black kid in a park. We caught national news over that. And yeah. now this, I think it's time. I really do think it's time for her to call it quits. I mean, she's the, the party will die under her leadership because nobody takes it seriously anymore. Um, and I really do think that the committee people should refocus and try to pick a new chair. Um, I'm not saying Nancy was the greatest chair, but, you know, she didn't have these type of problems. Um right. So yeah, she did a pretty good job of, for whatever her agenda was, is to, to keep to keep the house sort of in order and and regardless of, you know, again, I, I I no great fan necessarily of Nancy as a chair, but Nancy Patton Mills, but you know, it it was at least a. If you had to pick one or the other, it's a it's a clear choice. It's a no yeah. brainer. And and I honestly, I do believe that she would have handled this situation completely differently, completely different. Well, well, she definitely would have because she would have been both party chair and county chair at the same time. So 
as the state party chair, she would have had to move very quickly because there would have been pressure on her from people like Sharif Street, the vice chair, Austin Davis, there'd have been pressure from Philadelphia. Yeah. Um, she would have had to handle the problems going on in, in her own county committee and have to handle them very, very quickly or else it would seem like she was a sympathizer like right. uh, Eileen Kelly is. And I, I really don't think that, that this whole Heather Cass issue should be given much more light. I think it's a, it's a part of a greater problem. And the reason why it caught so much attention was because of the, the history and the pattern that we've had since Eileen has been the chair of the party. You know, we, it's been less than two years and it's been three major national events that all revolve around racist and insensitive things that people right. have said and done. So I, I really think that the conversation should center around Eileen and the fact that there's a problem with her. Um, and, and we really do need to, to rectify that problem so that the Democratic Party can get stronger in Western Pennsylvania. What do you think the future of the Democrat, the party endorsement is? You think it's still? I think it'll be, re I think it's gonna have to be revamped. Uh, the, the state party still does endorsements. Other states still do endorsements. The whole thing of it is there's just no secret ballot. Everybody has to show up in a room. Right. You have to take the vote. The problem with the problem with that and the reason why certain chairs don't like it is because floor votes turn into fist fights. Right, right. <laughs> and, and nothing will decrease your power faster than having two separate factions or maybe even three fighting each other over an endorsement. Uh, and I think that's what, why Nancy never wanted to do it. And I think Eileen isn't astute enough and isn't, you know, hands on enough with the party to understand that she really does need to do this to provide it more credibility. Yeah. Um, the, the Democratic Party, as you know, because you have Bethany Hallam on all the time, the Democratic Party doesn't even meet. Uh, the, right. the, individual, the individual wards meet um, but that's very few and far between. And some wards don't meet at all. Some wards only meet when there's an election coming up. Right. Um, so, you know, you, you, you really do need a chair who's going to address those type of problems. And if I had to bet on it, I would say that Bethany Howell would be our next chair. Yeah. And um, let's talk, let's do one more of these and then let's move on. Um, because again, I think- Are we still gonna, are we still gonna do COVID response? We are, we are, yeah, yeah, yeah. We were gonna do COVID, we are gonna do COVID response. I definitely wanna do that. Um, but let's talk about, let's talk, talk about, uh, just briefly about, uh, uh, Daryl Metcalf and Dan Smith. Um, that was one that you had on your list there to talk about. So, well, I mean, Daryl Metcalf just seems to be on this crusade against the governor to reopen the state yeah. and give everybody coronavirus. I guess he's on the same conference calls. as like Texas governor, Greg Abbott, Brian, uh, what's his face down in Georgia and the, the Lieutenant governor of Texas who suggested that we sacrifice our grandparents for the economy. Um, <laughs> these people are just crazy. Like it's, it's yeah, a level yeah. of, it's a level of crazy that fact doesn't penetrate, science doesn't penetrate. And I really do hope that uh, people around the county, especially Democrats mobilize and help Dan out and go yeah. up there and knock on doors for him. Because I, I personally think we have a lot of Republicans who I'm friends with, uh, who, who I can have cordial conversations with. I think Daryl Metcalf is not just a disgrace to the Republican Party. He disgraces Western Pennsylvania. Right. right. Making especially the suburbs look like just racist places where, you know, there are a bunch of people who don't accept others. Uh, he had a problem with Chris Rabb in the uh, in the legislature where I believe he threatened to shoot Mr. Rabb with a sidearm that he carries. Um, he had problems with Brian Sims. He called him a touchy feely homosexual. Um, yeah. The, 
the state uh, state rep from Philadelphia. He's also had uh, he touched his arm. He he, he the, the guy who touched his arm. The guy who he flipped out when a guy touched his arm in a meeting and, and said things like, there are members of your party who like that type of thing. Yeah. To a, a straight married man right. who he's been on a committee with for several years. It, it's just a level of crazy that even if that district elected another Republican, I just think it's time for Daryl Metcalf to go. Yeah, this, just no, does, this just does not make our state look good. It, it, it's so bigoted and so racist and so hateful and I know that there are other Republicans out there who don't yeah. agree with everything that he does. Right. And it, I think we as Pennsylvanians just need to say enough is enough. With yeah, and I, th I think Dan made Dan made a lot of inroads uh, during the last election. I think he was starting off strong again from from what I was seeing. And then again, COVID-19 once again, sort of. Well, he's in a, he's in a he's in a better position than other people. Why is that? Because he will probably get the time to knock doors and talk to voters. But if you're Summer Lee right now, the primary is everything for you. There's not gonna be a Republican challenge. Right. So if, right. You're, if you're some of these other members of the state house, like Emily Kincaid, or even somebody running for Congress, like Jerry Dickerson, it's now or never for you. June 2nd right. is your everything. Yeah. For, for Dan, you know, we have a couple of races around the county. Anita Kulik is one of them. Pam Ivino is one of them. All these people are gearing up for November. Yeah. And, you know, that's their that's their crown jewel. That's the only way they get back into office. And I think the the, the thing that will benefit him is hopefully COVID-19 dies down and where he's able to get back out there and press the flesh and talk get a couple about. strong months of, of yeah. door knocking. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about we've uh, we've been mentioning COVID-19 throughout the whole thing. And I know this is something um, something that you're you're that you very much want to talk about, which is the response to COVID-19. Um, you know what, I'm not even, I'm just gonna let you, cause I know you've got some, you've got some points I know you wanna get to. So go ahead, so and you start the conversation. I'm, I've been in Texas where there was, I was in Harris County where there was a lockdown order and there, there still is a, a lockdown order and a, and a suggestion from the county judge that everyone wear a mask. Um, I think that across the board is, is something that should be done. I'm also here in Louisiana and like right around the corner at the Walmart, the Louisiana National Guard is stationed, you know, running a COVID-19 testing site. This is the first yeah. time I've seen a military deployment around this. Yeah. Um, so, you know, depending on where you are in the country depends on how seriously your local elected officials took this matter. Uh, Houston took it very, very seriously. It's a big international city. Um, it looks like certain rural areas that I've been in haven't taken it as seriously. Right. Um, partially because people are more spread out and don't come in contact with each other as much anyway. Um, but the bigger issue with COVID-19 is going to be the massive loss in revenue for municipalities, cities, states, uh, things like that. And for Pittsburgh, especially, you know, um, I'm, I'm wondering and I'm, I've been asking the question, are they going to have to raise our taxes? in order to pay for the hundreds of millions of dollars lost in convention revenue, hotel revenue, personal seat licenses, all of those big events that, that bring in tax revenue to the city. Are they gonna have to raise taxes? Is Bill Petuto gonna have to raise taxes on everyday people? I know a couple of weeks ago, he held an, a, an address in the city council chamber where he talked about the city's budget and the city's finances. Right. And he, he made some comments that I found uh, to be, alarming that made it sound like we're going to have to raise your taxes and um as i've written before here with the current 
you know, I, I, I believe that before we turn to the average citizen and say, hey, we need more money from you, there are some entities in town that need to start chipping into the pot, uh, namely the big four, UPMC, the University of Pittsburgh, Carnegie Mellon University, and Highmark. Um, so before we go and try to raise property taxes and then create a, or raise a wage tax or a commuter tax, we really need to start to look at some of these large property owners and making sure that they're paying their fair share. Also, I haven't heard a single thing about the mayor of the city of Pittsburgh canceling tax abatements. I mean, we've got hundreds of hundreds of millions of dollars worth of abatements out there uh, that could be anywhere from 10 to 20. I think the average is 10 in Allegheny County. Um, so unless we're talking about doing drastic things like that to try to fill the hole in revenue, we shouldn't be talking about raising taxes on rank and file people who seem to get their taxes on their property, especially raised every two years, every time somebody in town comes up with a new initiative that needs to be funded. Like the parks tax where our taxes just went up. Right. Um, what, what about, what about, um, so there's the issue of an issue that, that, that I know my readers are familiar with because I've been covering it for three weeks, four weeks now. Um, the issue of the Allegheny County Jail and that response. Um, most recently yesterday, and you guys could check out my latest story at pittsburghcurrent.com. Um, you've, got, you've got officials like Chelsea Wagner, Bethany Hallam, uh, board member uh, Terry Klein, former Allegheny County Councilwoman. They very much, they voted in favor of doing universal testing at the jail. And um, that's something that's now, you know, a lot of jurisdictions are doing that and they're finding that their asymptomatic uh, infection rates are sky high. And there really seems to be a pushback from the county and from the, from the county jail management to, to do universal testing, continuing to say, uh, you know, we're following CDC guidelines and we're talking with, um, we're talking with uh, constantly with the, being advised by the Allegheny County Health Department um, but you know, no one has ever given a good reason why there sh why there can't be or shouldn't be universal testing. It's almost, I don't know. It almost well, do they don't want to know how no, they, how widespread it is. They don't want to know because it, it. And we talked about this off air. There's a huge liability issue. Yeah. If I'm in the custody of the county and I contracted this. Um, and they didn't do everything in their power to, to, to give me health care. And the, the Allegheny County Jail already has a really poor history of providing health care. Right. Uh, I've, I've heard of people going days without insulin. Um, so, you know, that I think that's why you're seeing people like Chelsea Wagner pushing back on this, because they know it, it could be a huge fiscal issue for the county. Um, but you have people like Fitch, uh, County Executive Fitzgerald who, who penny pinch every single dime and probably don't believe that we should waste this type of money testing all these people in the jail. Um, and, and it's really a terrible thing because there's no way to practice social distancing in jail. Not right. in the Allegheny County Jail. The bunks are stacked on top of each other. Two men are in every cell. There's uh, uh, 60 cells on each pod. So that puts you at what, 100, 120 people on a pod, maybe more? Roughly, yeah. Maybe depending, on, depending on crowding. So that it's very, very hard to stop the spread of communicable diseases in places like that. So testing has to be everything, testing and treatment. And they're more focused on other things than the people in the jail. And I think it I think it'll only come home to roost when if there would if there were to be like a mass die in the jail, um, they would they would then take notice and then they would be liable for it. 
And then they would have to talk about how they were given an opportunity to test people. They were they had the ability to do it, but they decided not to because those people weren't important to them. Right. Um, and and you know, there's a lot of that in Allegheny County. Is we only do for the people who are important to us. Right. Uh, so I, I think that this comes from that same mentality, and it's very very dangerous and can lead to people dying. Right. Kieran Young, thanks for joining us. Uh, anything anything you want to touch on before we go? Anything uh, you want to give a quick uh, hot take on in two uh, minutes? Well, I, I think that, you know, when we are looking at the city of Pittsburgh, I think it's, it's really time that we start to look for new leadership who are not controlled by the nonprofit class and the, the infrastructure of the greater political donor class that, that is around. Uh, I really do believe that some of the reasons why you end up with the problems that you have in, in, in Pittsburgh and issues are always being passed on to the rank and file homeowner or the rank and file voters because they don't have a lobbyist. They don't have a guy who's running around town holding dinners and you know fundraisers for these people and just stroking them checks so that they do what they say. So yeah. whenever it comes time to raise taxes on somebody, I'm not going to raise my I'm not going to raise the taxes on people who are giving me money to run my campaigns. I'm going to raise it on the rank and file voter and hope they don't notice. Right. And that's and that's where we are and it's becoming very very dangerous where we're overtaxing our property. We're overtaxing people in, in Allegheny County and in Pittsburgh. And I really do think it's time for people or for, for the elected officials to start to look at providing property tax relief for people. They've yeah. been talking about it for all my life. Right. When's it going to happen? Right. Exactly. Kieran Young, thanks a lot for joining us. Good to talk to you, man. It's been a while. So I appreciate it. Um, check out Hope new this- issue, Pittsburgh Current, pittsburghcurrent.com. Also check your inbox. You can sign up to have it delivered to your inbox each and every uh, Tuesday um, and which will be coming out, uh, coming out this week. So check us out, pittsburghcurrent.com. Thanks for joining us. Bye. Unapologetic, no tissue. Catch the wave, the flow first certain. Nothing put you in like a pit.